Earth vein shadows flee. Amazing. Psalm chapter 90. I make no excuses this morning for reading the entire chapter. Psalm chapter 90, beginning in 1. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction, and sayest, Return, ye children of men. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday, when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are as a sleep. In the morning they are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. For we are consumed by thine anger, and by thy wrath are we troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off, and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? And let it repent thee concerning thy servants. O satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us, and the years wherein we have seen evil. Let thy work appear unto thy servants, and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands, establish thou it. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you already for the psalms and the hymns, which we by thy grace have been able to sing. We pray that not only the truth of those psalms and the hymns and the truth of this psalm 90 lord i pray that they would do more than just lord interest our intellect but lord i pray that father we desire and long to know of its truth in a real and everlasting way father i pray that you would bless now the preaching of thy word forgive me already for my great insufficiency and unworthiness lord the divine wisdom from which the psalmist speaks that we should be praying for in this psalm is something, Lord God, that each and every one of us in this room, both young and old, should give a earnest heed to. Help us, dear God, we pray, that we might see and understand what the Spirit would say to this church this morning. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. We just got finished singing swift to its close, ebbs out life's little day. Earth's joys grow dim, its glories pass away. Change and decay in all around I see. O thou that changest not, abide with me.
So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. You know, it would be to every man's greatest advantage, both for this present life as well as for that of eternity, that he would seriously and humbly consider the divine truths recorded in this 90th Psalm. As humbling as they are, Every individual that's ever been born into this world would do himself well if he would consider what this 90th Psalm has to say about the frailty and brevity of life in light of God's eternity. For the wisdom for which the psalmist would exhort us to apply our hearts unto is of the richest bounty excelling far beyond the greatest riches of this present world. Men seek riches that easily escape them, riches that they will not be able to take with them when they depart from this life. The riches of which the psalmist speaks, we keep into eternity. It's a wisdom that's much greater than all the gold in the world. It's a rich wealth of treasure which no man can find amongst men. And the greatest part of it is God has allowed it by His grace and mercy that this rich wealth abide in our hearts. So teach us. Can you hear the psalmist pleading with the everlasting God of verses 1 and 2? Teach us. For we cannot, we cannot teach ourselves. Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. The divine wisdom contained in these verses are not merely intended for the aged whose days of their years are now threescore years and ten, that's seventy, and if by reason, he says in the psalmist, reason of strength they be fourscore years, eighty, it's not merely intended for the aged, who now in their older age are beginning to understand not only the brevity of this present life, but also its frailty as our bodies begin to weaken and stagger with the coming of old age. But there's also wisdom in this chapter for those who are yet young and at the very early stages of life, whose knowledge and interest in the things of life are yet in its infancy. For in verse 14 he speaks, So satisfy, satisfy us early with thy mercy. Early in life with thy mercy. Why? That we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Oh, that I might have known something more of this wisdom of which the psalmist speaks in my younger years. The days of my rejoicing and being glad would have been many more if I had merely listened or learned 
or was instructed more in the wisdom of which the psalmist speaks. May God give us grace this morning that we might hear him as he teaches us, both young and old, to number our days. Verse 12. So, in other words, the psalmist is saying, because of what I've just said in the first 11 verses concerning not only the eternity of God, but also the frailty and brevity of life, if you're aware of that, if you understand that, if you comprehend that in any manner, the psalmist in verse 12 begins to say, so, because of these things, Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. We need to know the wisdom of which the psalmist here speaks. And Moses would have us beseech God to teach us to number our days. Because man will of himself never number his days. Man does not wish to think or meditate or even speak of his own mortality. Have you known many people that say, let's sit down together and speak about our mortality. Let's talk about how this life is so brief and frail and how quickly it, it goes away like a vapor, James says. It's here today and gone tomorrow. It says grass that groweth up in the morning and is cut down as night. Let us all discuss the mortality of our lives. Not very many people would enjoy that conversation. And yet the psalmist says when you understand that, you have wisdom far beyond what all mankind could desire. Only God, who alone is from everlasting to everlasting, possesses the wisdom, grace, and mercy. And I say that with much joy. Only He alone possesses the wisdom, the grace, and the mercy. Because it is mercy when He teaches us this, to number our days. This entire chapter has captivated me all week long, has hung over me sometimes as a cloud because of my mortality, and yet many times the rainbow appeared in that cloud because of the eternity of God and the wisdom of which God seeks, has, would have us to seek. There's wisdom here, dearly beloved, wisdom the world knows nothing of. Wisdom which will make us rich in God not only in this present life, but oh, even more so for eternity. Especially as I grow older, this 90th Psalm has meant so much to me. And I hope and pray that after this morning's sermon, that throughout the week, and maybe the following weeks, it too shall follow you. You see, we're so content with just immediate instructions. Something that's temporal. That's not how God's Word works. God's Word, when it's engrafted into our hearts and our souls by His grace, begins to take root and begins to grow and begins to affect the way we think, we live, our entire being. Our very character is constructed by the Word of God. It's a light under our path, a lamp under our feet. 
And I hope and pray that we would, this morning after this message, we would return to Psalm 90 and begin to read and meditate upon it much more ourselves that we might too with the psalmist say, Lord, I'm beginning to understand the frailty and brevity of this present life, so help me, teach me to number my days, that I might apply my heart to wisdom. Not the wisdom of the world, but the wisdom of God. For sinful man, like I said, would never of himself number his days. Nor does he possess the wisdom and the ability to teach himself this divine lesson. So God teaches it. Sinful man, though he may acknowledge the brevity of this present life, and every man, woman, and child in this life will acknowledge that someday they will die. They still live as though they shall live forever and not see corruption, the psalmist says. That's how they live. They live as though they're going to live forever in this life. Oh, the thoughts of death and mortality has to be pushed to the side. Oh, I'm too young to think about this. Oh, tell that to the kids that have been killed in school or those that's been injured or those that's died in a youthful age. Tell them that death has nothing to do with them, that they're, they're, they can elude death in a young age simply because they're young. And the sinner believes that his disbelief in God relinquishes him from all authority of God. You're a fool. Whether you believe in God or not, one thing is a reality that we all must agree on is that we shall all die. And the reality of that is seen when we number our days because some of us are beginning to get that age to where we're going, you know, life's going by pretty fast now. I used to be in the slow lane, but man, it sure has picked up speed. You can seek to... Ignore it. You can seek to avoid it. But believe me, if you don't number your days now while you're young, believe me, as you get older, you're going to number your days. Oh, how you'll number your days. So learn to do it now so that you might, like the psalmist says, rejoice and be glad all of the rest of your days. No, he would live as though he lives forever. His inward thought, said Psalm 49, is that his house shall continue forever and their dwelling place to all generations. That's what sinful man thinks. That's how he lives. Even though he confesses that, oh yeah, one day we're all going to die. Look with me in Luke chapter 12, a very well-known passage of Scripture. Luke chapter 12, in verse 15. Luke twelve, fifteen. May God teach us this morning in this sermon how to number our days so that we might apply our hearts unto wisdom. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Our Lord said, And he said unto them, this is the Lord speaking, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. That's not life. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns, and I will build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. 
Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. That's how man thinks. But something happens. The next verse. But God. I'm getting ahead of myself. He didn't figure God in this equation. Oh, no. I got all these riches. I got everything planned. I'm good. Verse 20, 20. But God steps in. Now watch. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself. For himself. And is not rich toward God. You see, beloved, you need to understand something about this parable and what our Lord is saying. The man's sin was not in bestowing all his goods. That wasn't his sin. God gives us richly all things to enjoy, right? That wasn't his sin. But his sin was in him being sinfully presumptuous that he will live many years to enjoy them. That's the sin. It's not that he gathered these things together. You see, money's not the root of all evil. It's the love of money. I'm not a charismatic preacher with all rings on my finger trying to get all this money. I'm simply saying the Lord didn't say love is the root of all, of money is the root of all, the love of money, the love of money. And here it's not the sin of him bestowing all these things. God richly blessed him. He never acknowledged God. That's the first and foremost thing he did wrong. He didn't acknowledge God for all his blessings. All that you and I have is from God. If you never acknowledge God for that, God can quickly, quickly rip that out of your lives. In a heartbeat. Ask those that have run into tragedies in the midst of their life when all things were going well. You see, as you age and you get older, you realize that there are good things in life. Thank God God has blessed us and He gives us good things in life. But we also know as Christians that we live this life in temperance because we know at any moment, any time, any second of the day, something can providentially go on and rip everything out of our lives that we cherished if we don't acknowledge God for everything that we have. If we have riches, if we have pleasures, if we have good things in life, always humbly acknowledge God's goodness and give it to you because He can just as quickly rip it out of your hand. His sin was not in bestowing those things. His sin was being presumptuous that he'll live many years to enjoy them. Over in James chapter 4, Lord, teach us to number our days. You say, how can I, how can I enjoy those things if I'm numbering my days every, every day? Because then you'll be able to put a priority in what life is all about. You'll enjoy the present things God gives you, but you'll also understand that those will quickly fade away in the light of eternity. You see, there's an eternity that man has to deal with that he wants to ignore. No, I want everything now. That's why Ecclesiastes says, if you don't believe in God, just go ahead and eat, drink, be merry, live your life, because tomorrow you die. Enjoy it while you can, because tomorrow your life ends. What do you have then? Ecclesiastes ends by saying, hear the end of the story. Hear the end of it. Fear God and obey Him. James chapter 4, verse 13. 
James says, go to now ye that say today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Sounds like the same man in Luke. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life, James says, it is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Again, they're being presumptuous that God's going to give them tomorrow to enjoy these things. It's not the sin of wanting to go into a city and continue there for a time or buy and sell. It's because they're presumptuous thinking God's already given them that time. He said, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. Why are you being presumptuous? Do you say, preacher, does that mean we can't plan and prepare? No, there's nothing wrong with planning and preparing. There's nothing wrong with setting sons to the side for retirement and a nest egg. There's nothing wrong with being wise and astute and frugal even. But when you take God out of the equation, you're in trouble. That's what he's talking about. For you know not what, what on the morrow is, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanish away. For that you ought to say, see here James gives us the answer, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this. And You see, it wasn't that they couldn't do that. James is saying, acknowledge God. If God so wills that we can do this, go there, live this long, plan this, if God wills that, it's going to happen. The only problem is people say that and then don't believe it because when God kind of throws a wrench in their plan, they kind of shake their fist at God like he ruined their plans. You ever been there? I have. <laughs> I don't know why you'd throw that wrench in there, God. What that has to do with anything? Why did you allow that to happen? That doesn't make sense to me. I planned it this way. God said, no, I didn't want it that way. Well, I did. God says, I don't care what you... <laughs> I mean, he's not unfriendly. He's not being unkind. He's simply saying, I'm God. You're the creature. Acknowledge me in everything. And I'm telling you, as Christians, we live more comfortable with that. Do we not? When we say, hey, I plan on doing this and that and whatever, but whatever the Lord wills. Because we found out that have you not seen how all the desires you have desired have been met by what he ordained this? You see, we know the goodness of God will give us everything that's good for us, even the things that are terrible or tragic or uncomfortable the flesh. It is eventually for our eternal good because God can only do good. You see, the sinful man doesn't see that. The sinful man just sees he's taking away the, my temporal uh, pleasures and my joys and my comforts. And they don't realize that God is doing a greater work behind the scene working something eternal. For you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. You see there? He said, you're being presumptuous. It's evil. Therefore, him to the knoweth good, and doeth it not to him is sin. So, same thing. James says, no, don't be presumptuous. You can do all those things. You can plan. You can do everything you want to. God allows us that. In fact, God says that's wisdom in doing that. Remember this servant that kind of hid his thing, hid his talents, or went to the evil master and said, hey, if you'll give me uh, this for four, I'll give it for three. And the Lord kind of said he was a, he was a, he was a faithful and wise servant because there's nothing wrong with that. The sin is being presumptuous that you're going to have that time without God's acknowledgement, without acknowledging God's providence and God's sovereignty. That's the sin of it. And James as well. Again, the sin is not in the planning, but in being presumptuous that one is guaranteed tomorrow, let alone a year. You see, the true wisdom, and listen to me, true wisdom in planning is not being sinfully presumptuous that tomorrow is guaranteed. 
but in our numbering our days as we plan. Let me say that again. Here's true wisdom, what the psalmist is speaking. True wisdom in planning is not being sinfully presumptuous that tomorrow is guaranteed, but in all our planning, let us number our days. That's wisdom. Now do that, we want to do that, we want to do that, we want to do that, but oh, if you will, Lord. But be prepared if you don't will. And he kind of sends you down another way. Because I've learned after over 30 years, 35 years of being a Christian, uh, many times the way I would have took would have been much worse. God knows better. Always humbly, humbly acknowledge not only the frailty and brevity of this present life, but also humbly submit to whatsoever the Lord wills. That's the wisdom in planning. I'm telling you, in my 40-some years of being a Christian, I ran into a few, and some of them very close to me, who have boasted about how they planned out life and they know exactly what they're going to do. Only to have that life ripped away and all the planning was nothing. You see, God's not cruel. He's not being cruel. He knows what's best for us. That's why at the end of the psalmist says, let the beauty of the goodness of the Lord be with us. Because it's good. God does everything good. Sinful man cannot comprehend that. When he thinks God's taking everything temporal away, God's simply trying to say, those temporal things are not what you need to set your heart and your affections on. Those temporal things cannot bring you satisfaction. like the brother read in Psalm 145 yesterday. If the Lord is not our satisfaction, nothing in this life is going to please you. <clears throat> because they're going to want more, you're going to want more, you're going to want more, you're going to want more. And you know what? As your days, even though you don't number them, as your days begin to be numbered anyway, and you get up to the, you know, the 70s, the 80s, like the psalmist talks about, and you look back and you're saying, you know, all those things I thought were important really didn't bring me any satisfying joy. All those things that I thought would bring me contentment and peace. It was all only temporary. Now I'm at the end of my life. I have nothing or very little more to look forward to. How have I wasted my days on the vanity of this world when I should have been setting my affections on things above, on that wisdom which is greater than all the riches of this world, the riches of being wise and the riches of God. <coughs> Yet, I look back in Psalm chapter 90 just for a few minutes. How does the Lord teach us this? Well, there's probably more ways than I can give you, but there's two groups here that he teaches. How does God teach us? So teach us to number our days. First, I'll speak to the aged since I fall into that category a little bit. Not that old. Getting there. For the aged, and listen to me, he would have us acknowledge as well as instruct the younger. The lessons of wisdom we have learned in numbering our days. I remember growing up when my grandparents would try to tell me something and I thought I knew better. <laughs> 
I know none of you did that. But as I got older, I thought, you know, maybe I should have stopped for a minute and listened. Because maybe they're not as scholarly as I am or as the young, educated. They've lived a lot longer than I have, and they've got life experiences I have yet to learn. They've been through valleys, and they've been through trials, and they've been through heartaches and joys of which I have yet to live as a young person. Maybe I should have listened a little bit closer to what that aged man had to say. Even though he's not as scholarly as I am, he has some experience I lack. Look in verse 9. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. I kind of grinned and quietly laughed when I read that the first time this last week again. I remember my grandparents and, and working in a nursing home. Believe me, this really, this truth brings it to home to me as a tale that is told. In a nursing home, you can go into somebody's room and they'll tell you a story about what happened to them when they were 12. Well, the next day you go in and they'll tell you the same story of what happened to them when they're 12. And the next day you go in, they'll tell you this, and they're repeating, it's a tale, it's a told. And what, they're, what it sounds like is like a tale. As you grow older and you're telling your life story, it's almost like a tale. Let me, let me tell you a tale of my story. And I've noticed in some people's lives <laughs> that they're beginning to start doing that now too. <laughs> and isn't that the way it is as you get older? It says here, we spend our years as a tale that is still. Let me tell you a tale. When I had to walk to school in knee-high snow barefooted for five miles. It's <laughs> what the aged do. You know why? Because they have tales to be told. You know what I found in the nursing home? A lot of times they only want someone to hear it. You don't have to tell me or explain it. Just listen to the tale of my story. Listen to what I've learned. It's a tale that is told. Verse 10, the days of our years are threescore years and ten. That's 70. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, 80... How old are you now, brother, William? See there? Now watch. Yet is their strength. This is amazing. Listen to this. Their strength. Not their weakness. Their strength. Yet is their strength labor and sorrow. You see, in other words, that's called life experiences. Let me tell you the things that I've learned in life. Oh, you're old. You don't know what you're talking about. That's a newer kid. Now, let me tell you the experiences of life. Let me tell you of the years of labor and sorrow which strengthened me, not only in my relationship with God, but also in me as a character. You know what builds character? Labor and sorrow. I'm not saying joy doesn't play a part in there, but that's how we build character. Have you ever noticed you've learned more in life in the valley than you have on top of the mountain? 
in your life. In the valley, you learn those core lessons to where when you come up out of that valley, you're saying, let me tell you a tale of the strength of my labor and sorrows that God has providentially put me through. And may God give you grace to have ears to hear what I tell you. Is that not our greatest desire as parents when you raise our children? We know you're younger and smarter, more intelligent. You might have read more books and studied more. But you haven't lived life. You haven't tasted not only the sweetness of it, but you haven't tasted the sorrows and the labors of it. Let me give you something that can help you along your way. <clears throat> I want to read something from Spurgeon concerning this that I hope and pray would help looking at how the Lord teaches the aged wisdom. And listen closely. He says, and I quote, Mellowed by hallowed experience and comforted by immortal hopes, the latter days of aged Christians are not so much to be pitied as indeed. Whoa. The sun is setting, he says, and the heat of the day is over. But sweet is the calm and cool of the eventide. And the fair day melts away, not into a dark and dreary night, but into a glorious, unclouded, eternal day. The mortal fades to make room for the immortal. Man, I'm telling you, that touched my heart. The old man falls asleep to wake up in the region of perennial youth. End of quote. That's how the Lord teaches the aged to number their days. They are not to be pitied but envied. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. The psalmist in Psalm 37 says, I have been young, now I'm old. Hmm. Listen to his wisdom. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken. You know, the younger might be more scholarly in the things of the world, but when it comes to truths like this, I'm telling you, there's nothing better than have an aged Christian man or woman who can sit down and tell you, I've been through the dark providences of God. I've been through the good providences of God. I've been through them both. And I'm telling you, I have not seen the righteous forsaken. That's wisdom. You can't learn in a book. But you can sitting at the feet and an aged saint of God. Look at Psalm 39. Oh, is the Lord teaching us wisdom this morning? Teaching us how to number our days. Look at Psalm 39. David here again. <clears throat> Psalm 39 in verse 4. Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is. How many conversations have you had with people about that? Why does David want to know that? That I may know how frail I am. 
In other words, the shortness of my time. I want to know the shortness of my time. Behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth. That's right here. That's as long as my days is. And mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man in his best state is altogether vanity. Selah. Surely every man walketh in a vain show. Surely they are disquieted in vain. He heapeth up riches and knoweth not who shall gather them. And now, Lord, what would I for? Here it is. My hope is in thee. You see, he speaks of the frailty of life, the bread of life, of vain riches, and he says, what do I wait for? My hope is in God. You see, because sinful man will gather everything he can together. He'll enjoy all the pleasures of life he can while he lives. And I'm telling you, in, in his young years, he's running like a jackrabbit. He's just going as fast as he can. And then his life begins to slow down as he ages. And he begins to realize that he's not as quick as he used to be. He's not as young as he used to be. And then it begins to get even more evidence that he's becoming weak and frail. And life is frail. And as he grows older and older and reaches that age to where retirement's just around the corner or something like that, at least for some of us, uh, it's about a young year, uh, we begin to look at that and we begin to think, okay, life is coming to an end. My life is coming to an end. And you know what? That's when he begins to stop and look back if he's smart. And looks back and says, for what did I labor all this time for? What do I have? at the end of this fleeting life that was here today and gone tomorrow. What do I have? What have I left for my children? My money? My riches? My wealth? Have I left them something that's going to uh, endure into eternity? Because if you look back in Psalm 90, again, he says it here, let thy work appear unto thy servants and thy glory unto their children. You know, the greatest legacy you can leave your children is God. Oh, that they might one day. And I'm telling you that weighs on every Christian parent. That they might one day come to know Christ. So that when we finally pass, our legacy might be, I might not have left my children with many riches, but I left them knowing God. That's riches. And in closing, you that are youthful, verse 14, will satisfy us early with thy mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. How much time goes by that one in their youth could enjoy the mercies of God? And the days that they may rejoice and be glad in because the youth squander their youthful days without Christ. You know, one of the problems Christians have that were converted at, a, at an older age is those past sins that haunt them. Satan likes to constantly rise up against us. 
oh, that I might have been converted at a younger age. Maybe I could have been spared some of those sinful temptations that still haunt my soul. You see, as children, if you're converted at an early age, you have many more days to rejoice in Christ in this present life, many more days to rejoice and be glad in Christ. And that's our desire as parents, as every Christian, that children would come to know Lord at an early age so they do not lose valuable days squandering their lives in sin. Ecclesiastes said it best, and it says, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. Remember thy Creator in the days of thy youth. While the evil days come not, the days of temptation. You remember, child of God, you that were converted at an elderly age or an older age, you remember the evil days that still haunt you, the things you did in your past life? While the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Remember it in the days of thy youth. So, Lord, in the light of your eternity, and in the light of my frailty and brevity of life, teach me to number my days that I may apply my heart unto wisdom. Why? Let me close with this. Verse 15. you got to close with this. It's good as God always is. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us. Why? Because he taught us wisdom. And the years when that we have seen evil. Why? Because he's taught us wisdom. Let thy work appear unto thy servants and thy glory unto their children. Now watch this. This is amazing. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. That's an amazing blessing. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. And establish thou the work of not his hands, but our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. Bless everything I do for thee, Lord. Bless the works of my hands. Let the beauty of the Lord our God, he says, let it be upon us. How do we get that? By numbering our days and applying our hearts to wisdom. Praise God. Needless to say, within 15, could be shorter. God's, I mean, if natural things take effect, we do not discount the providence of God, but if natural effects take place in the next uh, 10 or 15 years, half of us probably won't be present. We've already taken our place in eternity. If you remember anything this morning, it's this I wish you would. Let God teach you to number your days, that you might apply your hearts to wisdom that you might come to know this God who is above all things most wonderful and glorious and know the beauty of the Lord our God. That's wisdom. That's riches. And then you can say, Lord, if you will, I'd like to do this and that and this and that. And the Lord says, I like that. And you know what the Lord does? He gives us exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask. So if I'm acknowledging Him in all things, God just might give me more than I thought I could get my own. That's how good God is. I'm telling you. 
That's how good God is. So teach us to number our days that we might apply our hearts unto wisdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for thy word. I've, I've done the best I could, and Father, it's no way anywhere near what it should have been. I always feel so greatly insufficient when I preach thy word. I know that one day I must give an account of every word I preach. Lord, you know the burden of my heart. Even after over 30 years, every time I stand up to preach, you know the temptations, the afflictions which so often attack me even before the preaching of thy word on Sunday. Father, Lord, I cannot of myself do anything. I pray that, Lord, you take the word this morning, your word. And, Lord, I pray that you'd engraft it in the hearts of everyone here this morning, both old and young. Help us all to teach us how to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom, and may the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and may you establish the work of our hands, dear God, until that day when we shall see you face to face, and in your bosom rest, and be freed from sin and sorrow and sickness and death, and to be ever with our Lord, whom we love above all things, Grant now blessings upon thy word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.